we had three hours for to, to write the essay and I spent the whole three hours and I blew up about 12 pages of paper and scattered my thoughts all over everywhere. And I remember he gave me an A for the, he, he gave me an A for the paper, uh, but at the bottom of the page he wrote down, he said, slow down, you're going to blow a gasket. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, is when we delve into the deep and the mysterious things of God, our human minds are not capable of grappling all of it. And sometimes we can presume into things that we have no business presuming into. But God has clearly taught us in the scriptures many things that we can know and that we can understand. And those are things that we need to grasp with. Now, the backstory to this is, is that guy, he hated God and he spit out hatred towards God from, from his podium in his lecture hall. And uh, he actually, at the end of that semester, he actually wound up, he wound up being diagnosed with a tongue cancer. And he died. Now, I am hopeful that God used that cancer to drive him to his knees and get him to turn and to trust Christ and be saved. I don't know. I never found out what happened. I just know he died from tongue and throat cancer. Now, did God will that for that man's life, for him to get cancer and die? Well, the answer is yes. And every sickness, the COVID that you guys went through this week, that was God's will for your life. And we need to understand that typhoons and hurricanes and storms and diseases and famine and all of these things are also all a part of God's will. Well, that's, that's a really good question. So we're going to get into that. Um, we're going to learn about a term called God's permissive will, that God uh, decrees certain things, thou shalt not kill. But in God's permissive will, he allowed men to nail his son to a cross and, to kill him. Their intention was to kill him. We know that they couldn't have killed him. Jesus actually gave up his own spirit and died. But the will of those men was to kill him. God's decorative will says, thou shalt not kill but through God's permissive will, he allowed that to happen. And by allowing that to happen, that awful, terrible thing, he brought salvation for all who would believe. You see how that works? And so, again, we're going to be talking about things in the next couple of weeks that are going to be uh, challenging. And you're going, to, you're going to hear some terms that we, uh, especially as Southern Baptists, as, as Baptists, we kind of steer away from we don't like to hear the words election and we don't like to hear the word predestination but the reality is is that both of those words are in the bible god has an elect people the bible clearly teaches that and so we need as his children to grapple with these terms and what they mean and we need to resolve them through scriptures, not just through our feelings and through our emotions. That's exactly right. The Bible says it is God, God's will that none should perish. All right? But there are people today that are perishing eternally right now. Are they there against God's will or did God willfully condemn them? So, you, you see, see what's going on here. I mean, these are things we have to wrestle with. And so the reality is, is that 
the proclamation of salvation goes out to all. And all of those who receive him, all of those who believe him, come into that saving knowledge. And so the question that you just asked is just a small sample of that wrestling that I was doing when I was writing my essay. Is everything just predetermined and like, what's the point? Why do we do anything? It's just going to happen the way it's going to happen. Or does God use secondary causes like prayer? Does God use secondary causes like the proclamation of the gospel? Does God use man and his will and his choices to bring about his will? And so these are things that we're going to wrestle with in the next couple of days and in the next couple of weeks. And they're tough. It's not, it, this is not an easy topic. And it shouldn't be. So I want to start by making a couple of statements uh, well, let's start with reading the, the passage of Scripture that we're going to read here. Uh, this, is, she, this is from Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 is in your bulletin there. And it says this. Remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end... From the beginning, and from ancient times, things which have not been, saying, My counsel will be established, and I will accomplish all of my good pleasure. So, who's saying this? Yeah, right. Right. So, Isaiah is writing this, but he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it, and God is speaking to Isaiah, saying, Isaiah, tell my people this. I am God, there's no other. I am God, there's no one like me. I declare the end from the beginning. The reason that I can read the book of the Revelation and know that we win is because God has already declared that this is what is going to happen. So I can put my trust in the fact that God has declared it and it will come to pass. You see? So, in the very beginning, when God said that one day the seed of a woman would crush the serpent's head, what was he saying? He said, one day a woman is going to have a baby that's going to get the devil. And what has the devil been doing all through history? Trying to destroy that promised seed to keep it from coming to fruition. But that promise he came to fruition, did it not? We've been studying the life of Christ. We've been studying it. He came. And despite all of the devil's efforts, what God said was going to happen, happened. And so the reality is, is that God has decreed everything that would happen from the very beginning. Everything. Everything that's going to happen, God has decreed and said this will happen. Now, in order to wrestle with that proposition, we need to understand two things. And these are the most important. I think two of the most important things we need to understand over the next four or five weeks as we're talking about this. Number one, God is good. And number two, God is in control. Okay? God is good. And God is in control. Does that not give you peace as his child? 
So, prophecy is God's declaration of what will happen. And because he is good and because he is in control, it all happens just like he plans it. But God uses the choices of men to bring about his will. We'll see that today in our list. So, so let's look at that. We're going to focus on today on the first paragraph. And again, we're going to be on probably on the first paragraph for a couple of weeks because there's a lot here to untangle. But look what the first paragraph of the, the creedal statement says. From all eternity, God decreed everything that occurs. Now remember, as we're reading this, God is good. God is in control. All right? Without reference to anything outside of himself. He did this by the perfectly wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably. Yet God did this in such a way that he is neither the author of sin, nor has fellowship with any in their sin. This decree does not violate the will of the creature, nor take away the free working or contingencies of second causes. On the contrary, these are established by God's decree. In this decree, God's wisdom is displayed in directing all things, and his power and faithfulness are demonstrated in accomplishing his decree. So really quickly, uh, he did everything by his own counsel, and he was not taking into consideration anything outside of himself when he made these decrees, when he said, this is what's going to happen. So when God decreed to save you before the foundation of the world, it was not based on him looking down through the quarters of time and seeing that you would believe him. That's known as prevenient grace. It means that God, before he ever made the world, knew that there was going to be a Wayne Forshee. And he looked down through the quarters of time and saw that one day Wayne would use his free will and choose God. So God decreed that you would be his child. What that does is, is that makes God's decree not based on what God decrees, but on what man does. You see, God's decree, what he says is going to happen, is not based on what you do. It's based on what he says. That's very important to think about because if God is making all of these prophecies based on the decisions of human beings, how secure is that prophecy? It's not. You see what I'm saying? It's like if he's, if he's looking down the quarter of time and the only reason that Roy Moore is being saved is because God looked down the course of time and saw that Roy would believe him. Then he is basing his decree on what Roy does, not what on what he says. All right? So all of the prophecy, everything that falls out in this world around us is just by chance or by just second causes. God decreed everything that happens, and then what does it say? Without reference to anything outside of himself. He did this by his own wise counsel, 
God did this in such a way that neither is he the author of sin. So the argument is going to be this. Well, God made the devil. He did make the devil. And Satan was the highest of all of the beings in all of creation. He was the archangel. And God created him and not only created him, but decreed that he would fall and that he would be the one to introduce sin into the world through Adam. God created Adam knowing that Adam would choose to turn away from God's truth and trust in himself. But God decreed all of that to happen. But that does not mean that the devil did not freely choose to turn away from God. The devil freely chose to turn away from God. Adam and Eve freely, they used their own free will to choose to turn away from God's truth. And none of this caught God by surprise. But it was all God's decree. But Adam can't turn around and say, well, you're the one that said it was going to happen like this, so it's your fault. This is the argument that goes on when we talk about free will and determinism. Well, if God's the one that chose me to be a sinner, then he's the author of sin. But the reality is he's not the author of sin. The second causes are the authors of sin. Adam's choice to turn away from his truth is what introduced sin into the world. It didn't catch God by surprise. So, it says God did this in such a way that he's not the author of sin... And his decree does not violate the will of the creature. What does that mean? His decree does not violate the will of the creature. He doesn't change. He decreed that it would happen. But your choice, but he still allows you to make the choices that you make. You see how that works? Yeah. So... Why would God do that? Why would he allow us to fall? Why, why not just make everybody perfect and not even introduce sin? What is the purpose of God allowing you to fall into sin? What is the purpose of God allowing Adam and Eve to, to fall away from him? Um, if y'all were doing our, our weekly Bible study, we just got through with the book of Job. What, was the, what is the underlying thing there? God knew that the devil was going to destroy Job's life. And God allowed that to happen. And Job was sitting there arguing, and his friends weren't any help. They were saying, it's your fault, you're evil, and that's why God's blasting you. But it wasn't God that was blasting him. It was the devil. And God allowed the devil free reign in his life. He killed his kids, took all the money and help that he had, did everything in the world but take his life. Now, is God the author of all of that destruction? No. But in his permissive will, he allowed it to happen, didn't he? What's the point? Why? I think, well, yes, to teach his lesson and bring us closer, what else? Good. That's exactly right. So, God decreed all of that to happen. 
He decreed for like Job's kids to die. He decreed for a man to build an ark and destroy millions of people and let only eight people live. Why? Why did he let Job go through those things? Well, for one thing, we understand this. Job and his friends were not privileged to the info that God and the devil had a discussion. And the devil said, the only reason that he loves you is because you bless him. If you take away his blessings, he will curse you. Well, God said to the devil, no, Job loves me because he's mine. Job loves me because he is my child. And my grace is all over his life. And Job doesn't love me because I bless him. Job loves me because he's my kid. He's mine. He belongs to me. And that's why he loves me. And so one of the points in the story of Job is, is that despite what this world throws upon you, the true child of God is going to stand firm. Not in his strength, but in God's strength. God sustained him through all of that. And it wasn't because of Job. Because Job said over and over again, God, just kill me. Why did you let me even be born? But he never cussed God, did he? Why? Because he's God's child. And what happened in the end? His life became even more blessed than it was before. Now, you and I may never see those blessings this side of heaven. But if you are truly God's child, know that the devil is going to do whatever he can to destroy you. And that all of the help that you have, all of the... The, the ability you have to go out and earn a living, all of the breath that comes through your nose is all a gift from God. And he can take it at any time he wants. And he's God and he can do that if he wants to. And it's okay. And so, Roy, it helps you in a situation with your wife and what she's going through right now. God is in control of this. And her body is breaking down. But her soul belongs to him and you know this. And it gives you a peace and a comfort through all of this that's going on that God is in control and God is good. And no matter what happens, God is going to be glorified. Everything that happens is going to be for our good and his glory. Why? Because he's the one that decreed it from the very beginning. He's the one that decreed that you would meet her. He's the one that decreed that you would give your heart to her and she would give her heart to you. And he's the one that decreed all of the arguments that you have with your kids. Now, he's not the cause of them, but he knows that they were going to happen. He knew that he was going to have a hard-headed father and a hard-headed daughter that were going to constantly butt heads. Right? You see, he knows all of these things. But he's not the cause of your hard head. That's you. And he's not the cause of her hard head. That's her genetics that comes from you. You see? And the reality is, is that so none of the, God's de- eternal decree violates the secondary causes, which is the fact that the reason I'm a born-again believer is because God saw fit to put me in a family that raised me up in the Word of God. 
And not only that, God loved me from before the foundation of the world. And despite my rebellion and despite my ignorance and despite my wicked heart, he reached down into this world and said, no, I love you too much to let you keep living this way. And he saved me. But he used secondary causes. My mom spent a many a night praying for my salvation. And he used pastors from all over this globe to preach to me from pulpits so that I could hear the word. And he used people's prayers. And he used the living examples of my Sunday school teachers. He used all of these secondary causes as a way to make sure that I found his will and found his decree. You see how that works? So it's not that we're supposed to just be, oh, well, life's just going to be the way it be and no matter what I do. No, he's commanded you to pray. He's commanded you to share his love with other people. He's commanded you to know his word. He's commanded you to raise up your children in a fear and admonition of the Lord. And all of these are secondary causes that you are responsible for. So as we do in this lesson in the next couple of weeks, and we're fixing to look at some Bible verses just to give you some things to mull about this week. So two of the most important things we learned so far is God is what? Good. And number two, God is in control. Now the third thing that we need to remember as we're going through all of this that we're studying is this. God is sovereign, but man is responsible. God is sovereign, but man is responsible. So we're going to see an argument in the book of Romans. And Paul says, who are you, O man, to argue back to God to say, why did you make me this way? That's what Paul says in Romans 9. Who are you, O man, to argue with God to say, why did you make me this way? In other words, the argument is this. Some man who is condemned by God says, well, it's not my fault. You're the one that created me like this. He says, shall the clay say to the molder, why did you form me as such? You see, God is the potter and we are the clay. But we are responsible for who God makes us to be. And we are accountable for our actions. And I can't point my finger at God and say, well, you made me this way. I'm accountable for the decisions that I make. So again, this is a very big subject and a very deep subject. And it's very, it can be very confusing. It can be very confounding. And through our own ration, through our own reason, through our own natural understanding, it can be depressing. But if we can remember God is good, God is in control, and everything that happens is going to happen for our good and for his glory. See? So let's look at a couple. So <clears throat> that's just kind of general statements. Let's look at some Bible verses. Let's go run through these Bible verses um, uh, for chapter 1 there. Isaiah 46.10. I think that's actually what we just read there, was it not? It says, Remember the former things long have passed, for I am God. There is none other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from the ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, My counsel will be established, and I will accomplish all of my good pleasure. Right? God's going to do what he's going to do. He's made a decree, and it's going to happen the way it's going to happen. He's God. All right? Ephesians 1.11. Who wants to read that one for us? 
if, and if you guys want to go ahead and look up one of the next ones, please feel free to do that. Ephesians 1.11. Okay. Now that that is again, I told you that we as Southern Baptists sometimes like want to shy away from the words election and predestination. But they're in the scriptures and they mean something. And God wouldn't have given us those words if they didn't mean something. Well, what do they mean? Ephesians 1 and 11 again says this In him, who's him? And it's actually in Christ. So when you were baptized, you were baptized in Christ. When Noah and his family got in the ark, they were safe from God's wrath. And you as a child of God who had put your trust in Jesus Christ are now in Christ. So in him, we also have been made an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So it is saying that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. So our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And it is going to be done. (laughs) So if you come to a place in your life where your will, and again, you do have free choice, you have choice. But if you come to a place in your life where you are convinced that your will can override the will of God, your theology's flipped on its head. If you come to a point in your life where your will can override the will of God, then who have you become? You think you're God. Is that right? And one of the reasons why we struggle with these things is because these statements that we're making today are clear statements that God is God and I am not. And deep down inside of every fallen man, we don't like that. We want to be the ones calling the shots. But he is. Now, yeah, amen. Think about that. Uh, we were, Andrew, we were just talking about this the other day. So when it comes to my salvation, who's in control of my salvation? God. Does he allow me to choose him? Yes. But who would you rather be responsible for your eternal destination? Your will or God's? Yeah. And so now I can rest. If it's based on a choice that I've made, oh boy. I'm going to go out here today and make a lot of choices. And some of them are going to be bad choices. And not only that, but things I choose today, I might not choose tomorrow. Have you ever thought about that? But he freely of his own will reached down into a world of people and said nope you're mine and you've been mine since the foundation of the world before before you're before I ever said let there be light you belong to me and that gives us hope that our salvation is based on an eternal plan of God And he brought it about through secondary actions. Your mama had you. They raised you up in the church. Or maybe you wasn't raised up in the church. 
But God made sure that certain people were praying for you. God made sure that you heard his word. And God made sure that his spirit broke your heart open and allowed you to see the truth of that. And granted you the repentance to turn to him. And so now I just rest in him and the fact that he's God and I'm not. And that's a good thing. So uh, if Hebrews 6, 17 says what? Who's got that one? Okay, in the same way, God desiring even more to show the heirs of promise. What does it mean to be an heir? If you're an heir, what do you do? You inherit something. Heirs of promise. What are you inheriting? That's exactly right. So you are an heir of the promises, and God wanted to make sure to show the heirs of promise the unchangeableness of his purpose guaranteed it with an oath. God said, I promise you, and I'm backing it up because I'm God, and I always keep my promise. So God made a promise that you are an inheritor of the promises, and God will never break that promise. Immutable. Immutable. It doesn't change. That's what it means something's immutable. You and I are mutable. God is immutable. He does not change. I am God. I do not change. Me and you change every day. We change our clothes. We change our attitudes. We, right, we change our hair color and we change our socks. God doesn't change. He's always the same. Okay. Uh, Romans 9, 5, and 18. This is where we're talking about. So God said to Moses, this is what he said to Moses. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then he has mercy on whom he desires. I want y'all to make sure that y'all see this is in scripture now. I'm not just making it up. God has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. Think about that. Pharaoh. Remember what it said? Before Moses ever was introduced to Pharaoh, before he was ever introduced to Pharaoh, he said, I'm going to go send you to Pharaoh, and I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And he's not going to believe you. See, I'm going to use Pharaoh as an example of what it looks like to stand opposed to God's will. That's what he told Moses. He said, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. But when you read the text, you will constantly see this play between God and Pharaoh and what it says is God hardened Pharaoh's heart and then it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. God was at work hardening Pharaoh. Hardening his heart. Why? So God could crush him and show the whole world that the most powerful king in the world can't do anything when it comes to standing against God and his children and the promise that they receive. Remember, God had promised Abraham's kids that you're going to be slaves for 430 years in a foreign land. But after that, I'm going to pull you out of there and I'm going to take and give you an inherited promise. Remember, he told them that. And so what this scripture is telling us is, is that God showed mercy on the children of Israel 
and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's, that's, that's very true. And so you'll find people that say, well, God's going to save who he's going to save. What's the point? I don't even have to go share the gospel. No, no, no. The command is to share the gospel with who? All. And then you allow God to do what he does. It's, that's not your job. Whose job is that? God and the Holy Spirit. And so what's happening is every day when, we, when I stand up here in this pulpit and preach to this congregation, God's word is being shared. And you are either going to receive it and believe it or you are going to reject it and walk away from it. Right? And God already knows that. And not only that, it says that those that reject him, he hardens their heart. He makes it harder for them to believe the next time. But those he shows mercy on, what happens? The Holy Spirit breaks their heart open and shows them their sin and shows them his forgiveness and his love and his salvation. And they turn and they trust him, you see? And it's a beautiful thing to think about, that God is at work all the time. And, he's, and his will is being accomplished. And it has been accomplished and will be accomplished. All right, next verse, uh, James 1.13. What does that say? Okay, so this is addressing the statement that says God is not the author of sin or has any fellowship with sin. You see what it's saying? God's not the one that tempts you. Right? It's your flesh, the devil, and you, your own heart, is where that temptation is found. And so God tests us. God tests us, but God does not tempt us. God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only begotten son, and I want you to sacrifice him on that altar. Did God already know what Abraham was going to do? Yeah, it was already decreed from the foundation of the world. But why did he do it? Because he wanted to show Abraham who Abraham was. He wanted Abraham to know who he was. And Abraham proved himself to be faithful when he did what God commanded him to do. Not only that, um, I would imagine that the rest of Isaac's life, he believed that his dad believed God and would do what he said. I don't think Isaac ever had any questions that Abraham (laughs) believed God. I'm sure he had some questions when he was tying him down to that altar and holding that knife up over his chest. But he was doing what God commanded him to do. Okay, uh, so God does not tempt us. Um, I, let's look at one more passage. We only got a couple minutes left. Go to that Acts 4, 27 and 28 passage. And we're going to get more into this next week. We'll talk some more about this next week. Acts 4, 27 and 28, what does that say? So what is it saying? It's saying that Herod and the Gentiles and the rebellious Jews nailed Jesus to a cross. 
And that was their wicked desires and their free choice. They chose to nail Jesus to the cross. Their wickedness said killing. They knew in the depths of their heart that he was God and they didn't want anything to do with him. So they nailed him to a cross. But look what it says. To do whatever. You see that your is in capital? Who is the your is talking about? God. To do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So when they were nailing Jesus to the cross, his father wasn't in heaven pulling his hair going, I cannot believe these people are doing this. I never saw that going to happen. It's saying this was the predetermined will of God. Yet those men that nailed him to that cross are going to be held accountable for their actions, aren't they? Y'all remember the stoning of Stephen? It said that there was one ascending there that had all the, the, the guy's clothes in his hand. Who was it? Paul. The apostle Paul was sitting there going, stone him, kill him. He's evil. And Paul sat right there and watched him kill that angel of the, the angel of the Lord, the, the messenger of the Lord. It said his face shone like an angel. As they were stoning him, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yes. Where did he hear that before? From Jesus. And the Spirit of God was at work in him. And Paul standing there going, this man is an evil blasphemer. Kill him. And then in the next chapter, God's going to knock Saul off of his horse and say, you belong to me. Now, and we'll finish with this statement. I want you to think about this this week. When, at what point is the focus in the life of Paul on him choosing God? At what point did he choose God? Yeah, but it was after God knocked him off of his horse and blinded him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what did he say? Who are you, Lord? And he said, you know who I am. You see, what was happening through the stoning of Stephen, through all of those PhDs and all of that Old Testament knowledge, Paul was willfully pushing all of that down and not wanting to acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. And finally, God knocked him off his horse and said, it's time for you to turn. And what did he say? What will you have me do? So God used all of those circumstances in Paul's life and all of his rebellion to true God and turned it around and then he took all of that zeal that Paul had and used it for our good and God's glory. So the statement, I'm going to repeat what you said because a lot of times on the recording they can't hear it. You said that sometimes God puts us into situations to let us know who he is. Yes, he also puts us into situations to let us know who we are. And so think about this. When are the times in mine and your life when we are most miserable? When are we the saddest? When are we the depressed? When are we... uh, Desperate. When, when are those times in our lives? 
Well, not, just, not, not necessarily when we turn from God. When are the worst times of life? Give me an example of a worst time of life. The de- your death or the death of a loved one. It's one of the most awful things that we have to experience in this life. Going to a doctor and being revealed that you have some kind of disease that they don't have a cure for. That's a horrible thing to go through. God puts us in those situations to allow us to know who he is and to allow us to know who we are. And one of the reasons that we despise those moments is because it's in those moments that we are truly made aware that we're not in control and God is. Like, it's at those moments that we finally have to come to the realization that I'm not in control here. And we don't like that. But for the child of God, for the one who has inherited the promises, you know it goes on beyond this life. And it's not that we don't grieve, and it's not that we're not sad, and it's not that we don't get depressed, it's not that we don't struggle with asking God why. But in our hearts, he has given us a hope that goes beyond all of this, and we can see beyond it. And we can recognize that he's in control, even in those situations. And everything that happens in your life, everything that happens in my life, and everything that happens in the world around you will eventually turn out for our good and his glory. Last verse, and then we're done. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Let me say that again. We know that all things work together for good to those who are called, to those who that are called according to His purpose. So I know that all things. That verse does not say we know that all things are good. It says we know that all things work together for good. So one of our struggles is is that there's things that happen in our life that are bad. But God has decreed them. And it will be in the eternal scope for your good and for his glory. Yes, yes, there's no doubt. And so that peace has to surpass what our natural mind and eyes and ears and heart can even reason. God's got you. You're his child and you're an heir according to his promises. And God does not break his promises. And those promises are established on his decree. So next week, we're going to get into, next week, what we'll do, we're going to stay in paragraph one, and we're going to look at three situations in the Bible that have to do with God's decree and man's will. We're going to look at the life of Joseph. That's something we've been doing in Bible study. We're going to see that God took wicked brothers and used them to bring about the preservation of his people. We're going to see the king of Assyria who's going to come down and drag all of the children of Israel off into slavery. And we're going to see that God used Assyria as a blunt instrument to punish his own people. But then God is going to turn around and punish the Assyrians. And then we're going to see the uh, crucifixion of Jesus and how God used wicked men and the most wicked act that ever took place in the entire world 
and turned it around for our good and his glory. Amen. Father, thank you for this time we've had together today. You are a good God, and you are a God who is in control, and you are our sovereign Lord. And I just pray for every man and woman in this room. I do know, uh, even myself, we will struggle with these deep realities, these eternal realities that are beyond our understanding or grasp. But we pray, Lord, that you will use your word to, to convert our hearts to condition our hearts to allow us to be able to trust and obey, to trust you for who you are, to trust that you have our best interests in mind, and to just know that you are a good God. I do know that there are plenty of things that we've talked about today that are going to be tough to deal with, and I just pray that in the coming days and the coming weeks as we study through your word, that you will allow us to, to be convinced of who you are. In Christ's name we pray, amen.